0: Dean Drummond, your host, and this is episode three with Elizabeth Ann Walker. of the fearless mums podcast i'm christine drummond your host and i'm so excited to be bringing you an amazing lady today miss elizabeth walker she is a well she calls herself the the fluffy sledgehammer which i really love but this woman is a bloody firecracker when you meet her your vibration rate raises by about 10 okay she is just full of energy i love it she says what she thinks she's a straight shooter and um, she's a mum of two and she's also a step of four. So she's got a busy life, yeah? She's been with her amazing husband, Simon, for five years. And this woman is so busy. She runs retreats. She does NLP training to help people realise and actualize their dreams. She also holds relationship workshops where she works with couples. And she does so much more. But, Elizabeth, I'm going to get you to share with our listeners today Tell us a little bit about yourself, like, who is Elizabeth Ann Walker?
1: Sure, that was a pretty good rap, hey, it sounds pretty good when someone else reads it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am Elizabeth Ann Walker and for a long time I didn't know who I was, but now I do. And I'm so proud that I can just say mm-hmm. I am Elizabeth Ann Walker. So bit of background, I grew up in a beautiful, privileged life with a great family. I had a great mum and dad. I had everything I could have ever needed and wanted. It was fantastic. And for some reason, when I went to uni, I kind of did the whole, I don't know who I am and I'm not good enough, and ended up marrying someone who treated me exactly the way I projected myself. And I was in an abusive marriage for 13 years. Uh, and I had my first two children there I went from and, and I was a registered nurse at the time and a midwife and I went from there to we moved our family to an island resort in Australia where I thought that I could fix my marriage because maybe if I could just make him less stressed maybe if I could just make him Um, happy and be in a relaxed environment everything would be okay so we homeschooled well I homeschooled my two children for a year on an island which was pretty exciting they did school for about two hours a day and they ran through the resort the rest of the time making new friends every week which was awesome. Um, During that time everything got worse instead of better and eventually I was rescued by the police in a helicopter with my children from the island. We were taken from the island over to Mackay, uh, which is in North Queensland, and taken to a safe house where we were put in a, like, we went through three sets of gates to get into this house and then we were locked down. And then we were taken by the police on a commercial flight back to mum and dad later that night and mum and dad lived in Byron Bay. When we arrived in Brisbane on that commercial flight, we got off the plane and the police escorted us off last and obviously my parents were really worried. And as soon as we crossed the border into New South Wales, the police rang my dad looking for me because I had been accused of kidnapping my children. Um, The Queensland Police and New South Wales Police hadn't communicated what was going on to each other. So then we had to go to the police station at midnight, it turned into a drama. Three years later, a whole lot of court cases. Uh, I ended up in a situation where I was granted full custody of my children and my lawyer said to me, if I was you, this is only the interim orders, I would let your your ex-husband have the children for half time. And I said to my lawyer, are you insane? Like you're nuts, and he goes, He's never hurt the children, he's only hurt you and hurt them by hurting you. And if you don't give them to him now, you'll have no evidence to get them for longer periods of time later. Whereas if you do, when we go to the full hearing, you can have them probably full time. And so, very reluctantly, I allowed my children to go back to their dad half and half, and it was probably the best thing I ever did because it meant the children respected me, uh, it meant that. I got some time on my own to start my healing journey. And it meant that they did keep a relationship with their dad, which was important for them. So then I went on and became a lecturer in nursing and medicine, I lectured medicine at Sydney Uni for four years. And then I, during that time, I dated a really young guy. I was 36, he was 18. Um, we stayed together for five years and it was great. And I thought that that was my healing journey done because, you know, it's pretty exciting when you're 36, dating an 18 year old, like it was great fun. And we did a lot of cool stuff. We spent a lot of money and had a really good life. And the kids enjoyed it too. Cause it was just like having a big brother. Right. But eventually we knew that that wouldn't last. And we were both really aware of that. And it was a beautiful end to that relationship as well. But once that ended, I got really sick and I ended up with, ended up overall um, with complete body breakdown. So I ended up in hospital and the doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. Infectious diseases teams were called in because they thought that maybe I had some really rare form, form of AIDS. Um, they were really, really worried about what was going on. But basically what had happened is my body couldn't do it anymore. I'd had that much mental trauma and physical trauma and I'd glossed over it in pseudo healing. And eventually my body just broke down. Uh, It was eating itself from the inside out. And it was a horrific time in my life because I had nobody. I wasn't with anybody anymore. My parents didn't live anywhere near me. They were nine hours away. Um, And my brother and sister were also living far away. My sister overseas at that time. So we I I realized at that point that I was either going to die or I had to do a lot more work and so I embarked on a big journey and then I got even more sick and I ended up after a series of operations having a severed femoral nerve unable to walk and in a wheelchair and as someone who'd lectured in medicine I knew that that could never ever get better because once your nerves damaged it's damaged right um, but I went to a Tony Robbins seminar and got wheeled up to the edge of the fire, and they took my hand, stood me up, I walked across the fire, and I never went back in the wheelchair ever again. and I was like, "How the hell did that happen?", I love that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I realized that the power of the mind was greater than anything else, and so I started investigating that, and I went into uh, neurolinguistic programming and went on and coached a whole lot of people and then realized that they needed something more than just coaching because once people heal, they want to help others. And so I went and became a trainer of neuro-linguistic programming. And now we run courses in NLP coaching, timeline therapy and hypnosis, as well as running women's retreats and couples retreats. And we run workshops for couples in relationships, as well as doing some private work in women's trauma and in couples work, in relationship work. So uh, how do the kids fit into all of that? Well, obviously they went through that trauma um, and it was a hard time for them. My eldest was seven and my youngest was four when we were rescued by the police. And they've had their own trials and tribulations through their lives and they're now 19 and 16. And they're both great now. They're, they're really happy, well-adjusted kids. They've got great friend bases, but it wasn't without its challenges. I met Simon in 2014 uh, and he went through another lot of that healing journey. So after the first lot of illness, I got better. And then when I got in a great relationship, I realized that there was more healing to do because when you've had a traumatic relationship, it's not just the inner work for you. You then need to do the work when you're with someone, when you realize, okay, I've done it for me as individual me. What does it look like for me with someone? And Again, I got sick and I had uh, 47 operations in three years and um, ended up with what I now know is the best husband in the world. He cared for me throughout that period. Some of those operations saw me become completely incontinent um, and I had to wear nappies and I, you know, he had to walk me up to bed each night and carry me up to bed a lot of the time. I was really, really sick. and more work and more came and now I've got the most incredible life in the world and I am grateful every single day for every single part of that journey. As much as there were bits of it that were absolutely horrific, I wouldn't be where I am now and able to help the people I help now if I hadn't have gone through it.
0: Wow. Um, Knowing Liz and coming in on this chapter that I've come in on, like you wouldn't know that you've been through all that honey so honestly you should be so proud of the person that you're showing up as today it's it's unbelievable yeah I want to touch on a few things there like um you often hear this saying that you get in life what you tolerate and you tolerated that relationship for so long but it's so common so I'd love to know like Um, I've never been in that situation, but I know a lot of my friends and a lot of people, a lot of women, mums in particular that I come across are in that situation. So I'd love to know what piece of advice or what can you give them um, for someone that's going through the same thing?
1: Um, I think for me, it's about honouring your heart, but staying true to your boundaries. Because my whole thing was I just need to love him more. I'm not loving him enough. If I just love him more because love was such a, it is my top value. And because of that, everything can be fixed with love. And that's not always the truth. You have to believe what, how people are showing you what they care about. And I'm all for with the relationships work we do. What we tell women in particular is you need to show up 100%. And we say it to men too. A relationship's 100% and 100%. It's not 50-50. It's not 50 you, 50 them. It's 100-100. And you need to show up like that. But you also need to set a boundary. So if you've had some major trauma in your relationship and then you're deciding, I can't leave yet, I need to give it my all, then you set a boundary on that. You say, okay, for three months, I'm going to show up and give 100% every single day. But at that three-month mark, if we've not made any progress together, then I need to honour myself and make a decision.
0: Yeah, that's a great piece of advice because um, a lot of us shame, blame and justify and why our relationship isn't where we want it to be. But a lot of it is to do with how each individual in that relationship is showing up, you know, and as you said, it isn't 50, 50, it's a hundred percent, hundred percent, you know? So I love that. The other thing you mentioned too, was the pseudo healing, um, a lot of people probably haven't heard this term before, but, you know, there's pseudo-gratitude, there's pseudo-healing and it's, it's just kind of like the band-aid, you know. It's, yeah. it's all that stuff. So I'd love you to go in a little bit more into that, into what is pseudo-healing and, you know, the difference between that and what you did, like the inner work to the yeah, real. Yeah,
1: so, so the pseudo-healing is, you know, I got a book on men are from mars and women are from venus and i read the book and thought oh yeah that explains everything but i read it from the perspective of no wonder this was a terrible relationship he was awful it was all his fault and i did everything right um uh, the other kind of pseudo healing is uh, i'm going to meditate every day but the whole time you're meditating you're thinking about how terrible your life is and how awful your sickness is and everything that is bad about your life, meanwhile going, oh, and it doesn't work. Uh, the mirror work, the I am beautiful, I am grateful. Meanwhile, you're going, my eyebrows need doing and my face is a bit <laughs> hard, my hair far out, I need to dye it again. Uh, you know, that's the studio healing. The the giving advice to other people, but giving it from that angry, uh, non-heart-centered approach. They're so saying things like, no, I would never let someone treat me like that. You should get out now. Just get out now. Save yourself now. Uh, the, the non-understanding of the part that I played in that abusive relationship, the, the stuff that I created, and that I think for a lot of women is hard to hear because the feminist movement uh, took away our ability to be feminine and... It didn't initially. The, the goals and the, the, the desire of that movement was to enhance women and to create an equal playing field, to allow women rights. But it went so far that it made women masculine and forgot to tell men that they needed to be feminine. And so what we ended up was with these two juvenile masculine energies where all that is available there is war. So the fighting that goes on in relationships is not actually about a bad person and a good person. It's about these warring masculine energies that don't know another way to solve problems. They, they just don't. So they fight and they hope that one of them will win and that the other one will see their point of view. Instead of recognizing from both the masculine and the feminine that if one person's in the masculine drop into the feminine and be full of gratitude and peace and playfulness and love and wisdom and, or if, you know, or otherwise drop into the masculine and set some rules and some boundaries and focus and determine where it's going to go and make some decisions. Either way, it doesn't matter whether you're the woman or the man, as long as you take one of the roles and take it seriously. But while you're both in the warring juvenile masculine energy, nothing's ever going to get better and yet the feminine movement allowed women to be like that under the pretend umbrella of this is what we need to do to be powerful but a woman in her divine feminine is far more powerful than anything like that like being able to be pretty and beautiful and heart-centered and flowy and you know, to be playful with your partner when they're coming home from a stressed out day at work. And that's stereotyping men going to work and women staying home. Sure. But being able to be playful instead of when they come home from work grumpy, you getting the shits too. And then everyone being grumpy and the kids, you know, you shove nuggets in front of your kids and hope that they eventually end up without heart disease. Like,
0: yeah <laughs> we we see it so often though don't we like we see so many women lose that fun loving girl that they used to be and then they come into motherhood and it's also serious you know then they're, they're not doing the things that light them up anymore so i i totally get that and um losing your independence you know when you when you first hook up with um simon must have been so hard because you and i like we're independent women right we can, yeah. we can we don't need men to take care of us we can take care of ourselves so i can only imagine how um, how difficult that must have been especially him seeing you in such a vulnerable state and you being so vulnerable um but you know you spoke about the lessons that came from that as well so um the other thing too was you know your kids experiencing what you went through you know one of my coaches said to me once christine you can't fuck up your kids you know, yeah. what they're not getting from you, they're getting from somebody else or or what situation they're in because of you, they're drawing on traits and characteristics that they wouldn't have had to draw on if they had not been put in that situation or that experience. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that um, our listeners are going to love this. Guys, girls, I should say, mamas out there, fearless mamas, if you're loving this, like, please leave a review for Liz and let her know what you're loving what are your takeaways from this podcast I've taken notes after notes already um and we've only got to the first question (laughs) we've got a whole list to get through so we better move on but Liz I just want you to know that your story is absolutely incredible it's so inspiring and to see what you're creating these days and the movement and the the impact and the influence that you're having out there it's so refreshing to see such powerhouse women um, within my peer group, I guess. And that's like, we, we're so grateful. I'm so grateful to have so much access to women like yourself. So thank you for being you. Thank you for showing up every day and for just shining your light for so many others. I know the listeners are absolutely going to love this podcast. I can't wait to upload it. Right. Moving on. um, tell us about something. (laughs) What's the worst thing that you've ever done as a mum? Come on, give us the nitty-gritty. What have you done? You know what?
1: I'm actually going to go really hard and deep here and and we'll risk judgment. But I think as moms, we don't talk about this sort of stuff. We all want to be perfect and we all want to know that we're okay and we're good enough and we're doing a great job as a mom. So the worst thing I ever did as a mum was during the court cases that I was going through with my ex, Uh, My eldest son obviously was going through his own trauma, but I was so wrapped up in my own that I didn't see that. I just saw a naughty little boy who was nasty and swearing and he was eight and he was swearing and that went against all my values. And I remember grabbing him by the shoulder, shoving him up against the shower wall and forcing liquid soap into his mouth, And my fingers Like it upsets me to say it now. And this is, you know, 12 years ago now, but my fingers shoving them down the back of his throat and going, you wash your mouth. You will not be like your father. I will not tolerate this. And it was all coming from my pain. It wasn't him. And I know he remembers it because we've talked about it and it was horrible for him. Like it was, it was just, you know, the person who he loved the most in the world, the person that he trusted did that to him. Like, I can't do that without crying because that's not me. But it was me in trauma. And that's part of the reason that this is my life's work now, is that women need to know that by not healing themselves, they risk damaging themselves for future, for themselves, not just for their children, right? It still hurts me to say that I did that. But at the time, did I think I was doing the right thing? Yeah, I did. I thought it was the right thing. I thought, no, you will, I will never, ever allow you to grow up like your dad. And this is the only way I know. You know, people are always doing the best they can with the resources they had. And I was on my own and I had this little upstart of a kid who was beautiful 99% of the time, swear at me at the wrong moment on the wrong day and he copped abuse and I'm all for calling it abuse because the abused often become abusers at, at some level and is it the kind of abuse you can't heal from no like he's gotten over it and he's fine but yeah that that would be the worst thing that I ever did to one of my children
0: and thank you for being so raw and sharing that story. And I know some mums that are listening to this will be able to resonate with that. I know that I swore once when I was three years old and I had to take a big bite of a cake of soap. I'm pretty sure it still had the pubic hairs on it. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. And you know what? It did the trick because I never swore in front of my parents until I was like in my 30s. And and now I'm kind of a bit more relaxed about them. If an F word pops out, I'm not I'm not too worried about it. If it's in context, it's not like I'm a yeah. I'm a trooper and they're dropping you know F bombs everywhere. But if it's in context, I'm okay with it. Um, but totally, like <laughs> I love I love that you shared that story. You know, thank you so much. And um, you're going to bring a lot of relief to a lot of other mums out there that are going to go, Oh God, I'm not the only one that did that. You know? Yeah. I think there'll be a and lot. I of think, think the
1: thing there. with that is that it's just about remembering. Because literally half an hour after that, I was devastated that I'd done it. And it's about remembering that your pain and your trauma does not belong to your children. It belongs to you. And when you have it, the quicker that you start doing the work and the quicker that you start healing, the least amount of damage you're going to do to your kids.
0: And and that's a whole other topic too, because if you hold on to that trauma... You'll actually pass it on to your unborn kids. You will get into their DNA and then they will have that trauma show up through their life. So you need to do the inner work, ladies. You've got to do the healing. Please seek help if you've got any of this going on, Um, like get in contact with Elizabeth. She can share. She can talk you through it. She can help you overcome a lot of this stuff. And a lot of it holds us back in life. We can't truly step into our power, into our true potential, our greatness, whatever you want to call it, unless we clear a lot of this shit, unless we work with a lot of this trauma, you know? So I love that you brought that up, Liz. Thank you so much. Um, Next question, what's one of the greatest lessons or piece of advice that someone's given you that's helped you as a mother?
1: Uh, It actually came in a roundabout way from Simon. Uh, And it was, your children are not yours. And that might seem really weird, but as your children grow, and remember I've got teenagers and 20-year-olds now, as your children grow, you have a responsibility to help them and assist them to learn, but they're not a mini-me. They don't have the same goals and dreams as you all the time. They don't have the same trajectory or pathway as you all the time. And remembering that, and allowing them the freedom to explore life their way, without getting hung up on the "I'm a bad mum." And you know, we've been fairly raw so far. So, let my eldest um, got involved in drugs when he was only about 13 or 14, and None of that was my fault. It wasn't because I put soap in his mouth. It wasn't because I got divorced. It wasn't because I'd stayed in a relationship too long. Chances are, even if we had stayed together and everything was happy and beautiful, he would have done the same thing anyway, because he was that kind of kid that was exposed to that. And thank God that's no longer part of his life. And he's a great, he's a great young man. But it was really hard in those first few years of that happening to not go, this is all my fault. We need to understand that children are not possessions and therefore our responsibility for their actions only goes as far as they allow it. And when I say they allow it, children are much older now. They have access to much more information now at a younger age. So at 13, kids know about sex. And if you're a mummer of a girl that's in their 12, 13, 14, I can tell you having had all all boys that those girls are sending photos and they're sending photos that you'd be horrified at. How do I know that my boys showed me the photos and I'm talking, this was going on six years ago. Children have access to so much stuff and it's not your fault and it's not your responsibility. All you can do is guide them because you cannot, if you give your 13 year old a phone, you cannot possibly know exactly what they're doing with that phone every step of the day, you know, every second of the day, you just can't. And so you have to have that blind trust and accept that they're going to do some things that you don't like or that might be against your values and then be there for them, regardless of what they do. Just keep loving them and loving them and loving them and loving them and and be the person who they can come home to when they change their mind, when they decide that this is not the right path. Because, I see it too often where parents get hung up on that. Oh, it's all my fault. My kid's done this done. You know, my teenage daughter's pregnant. It's because I didn't love her enough and she's trying to have a baby to feel loved. Cool. Be there for her. Be there for her, not to tell her how to raise your grandchild, but be there for her to help her when she asks for help, because you can only be responsible as long as they let you. They're, They're their own human.
0: I love that and, and what a great piece of advice that Simon said because, I, yeah, we don't own anyone. We don't own anyone. We're all individual spirits, souls, whatever you want to call yourself, getting through this human experience yeah. on our own path, you know, on our own journey. So I love that you mentioned that and we have to allow our kids to express themselves, you know. We have to, um, I think this society, it, it knocks the creativity out of people. You know, we're, we're told to act a certain way. We're told what behaviours are acceptable, what's not acceptable. And people are scared. like their um, intuitive thought, their spirit, their, um, you know, creativeness is just squashed out of them, you know. And um, I've got strong thoughts around the school system and that's a whole nother topic as well, but it really doesn't help the creative free spirits, you know, it doesn't embrace entrepreneurism. Um, you know if if someone can't have an attention span you know where it's like we're wrong we're treated differently if we make mistakes at school where mistakes are not embraced you know whereas in real life we really need to embrace the mistakes because that's where the lessons come from so I love that you mentioned that um, in our household we do radical communication you know and um, it's you know all about that um, what you were talking about with kids having access to everything these days you know Um, just having that radical communication stop stop um, having taboo subjects in your house you know that happened in our household and then it was awkward when things happened or I was exposed to things you know but if you have open radical communication with your kids it's not going to be um, you know as revealing or is awkward when those things roll around like my daughter's seven and we've already started having the talk around the period you know she can't believe that it happens like mom this is happening at, like every month for the rest of my life i'm like yeah pretty much like <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing you know but you know what we we just need to start opening up the channels and as you said whether you're cranky upset disappointed with your kids Don't judge and just know and love on them harder. You know, like when I'm cranky with my kids, I always say, "Mummy loves you right now. I'm just really upset with this behaviour or what's happening." But I love them in that moment. You know, so I love that you said. And just
1: remembering that that thing that people are not their behaviours. Exactly. Their behaviours are just a reflection of what's going on for them at the moment in their life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Totally. Totally. And sometimes you just catch people on a shitty day.
1: (laughs) Yep.
0: (laughs) Um, Awesome. So, have you had any embarrassing mum moments? Like, whether it's been embarrassing for you or for the kids, like, give us some dirt. What do you got?
1: (laughs) How gross do you want to go? (laughs) Yeah,
0: let's go gross.
1: Okay, teenage boys are disgusting. You've heard that. Presents around. Particularly if being away for the weekend, they leave more presents around and um this is where you need the video on these things hey so I remember walking into one of the boys rooms even as teenagers I still walk in at night and just look at them when they're sleeping you know how when they're little you walk in and just make sure well I think originally you make sure that they're still breathing um even as teenage boys I would just walk in when I'd go to bed and One night I walked into my son's room and I trod on something and it was wet and he used to always take a glass of milk to bed. And so I'm like, oh my God, if this is milk, it's going to stink in the morning. So I picked up what it was and went like, brought it to my nose to sniff it. And as soon as I sniffed it, I knew exactly what it was. (laughs) I nearly vomited on the carpet. (laughs) And if that wasn't bad enough, about two years later, my stepson had left a towel in the lounge room after we'd been away. And I thought, what's that smell? And I picked up the towel and did the same thing, put it near my nose (laughs) and it was the same stuff. Disgusting.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. It was gross. I know (laughs) it's gonna be embarrassing moment. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know there's gonna be so many mums listening to this podcast that can relate to that, that have the teenage boys that are doing that. Oh I love it. This is what I love about you. You just like, awesome. <laughs> awesome um well, talk to us about your philosophy around parenting around motherhood like what what morals are you instilling in your children and and do you guys have any traditions in your household?
1: Yeah, so the tradition that we still have now is we have a dinner a week together uh as your kids get older and they start leaving home, and they you know it's really challenging to create that family time so we try it doesn't well do we try no we usually have one dinner a week occasionally it's once a fortnight it's usually once a week it doesn't matter if it's home or at a restaurant you know whatever our lifestyle is allowing for on that particular day but during that dinner what was the best bit of your day today and it's so simple because what i've realized is that so many families don't eat dinner together or the kids eat first and the parents eat later and it you lose that ability to communicate and you lose that connection with your kids when you're not sitting with them at a dinner table and for me some of my greatest memories as a child come from the dinner table and we still do that and the kids actually look forward to it they enjoy it they have gone through phases where they've laughed at the question because they obviously have all been out together on the weekend and it might be a weekend night that we're having dinner and they're, not, they're definitely not telling me the best bit of their weekend. Um, but they all know. And so then it's still, it's still fun and it's still a great experience. So it's creating that time for dinner and not having this thing of, oh, everyone needs to be home every night for dinner. It's just let me know if you're home one night a week. I don't care what it is. You tell me which day it can be this week we're all going to have dinner together and not having to have that structure to limit their life to say, okay, every Wednesday you have to have dinner. Well, what if one of them gets to go out on a date on a Wednesday? Or what if one of them has an opportunity to go to a course or something on a Wednesday? You don't want to do it like that. You want to just have flexibility and just, you know, okay, this is what we
0: can do this week. Let's do that. So that's, one thing. What was the other thing that you asked? I can't remember the rest of the question. What What's your philosophy around being a mum or or around parenting? You know, values or morals. Yeah. So around parenting, it's about
1: allowing your children to explore their freedom. Because as a child, I was a total straighty one eighty. And as I grew up, I realised that that didn't really come from my parents. My parents were not like that. My sister and brother were not like that. I just really liked rules. I really enjoyed rules when I was growing up. And so I stuck to the rules and assumed that everyone else would and they didn't. And now I'm, you know, there'll be some people listening to this podcast will be like you rules. No way. Cause I don't really follow any rules anymore. But I think understanding that your children are going to be the little personality that they are in spite of you, regardless of you, It doesn't matter what you do. They'll still grow up to be themselves. And so allowing them to explore that freedom in a safe environment where it's okay for them to say stuff to you. Like if your child goes and uses drugs, you want them to come and tell you. If your child gets pregnant, you want them to come and tell you. And if you're the person instilling the rules saying don't do drugs, don't have sex, don't, you know, if you're constantly saying don't, 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 they're doing it they're just going to do it behind your back and you're going to find out when it's too late you know I remember when Jack um first started trying drugs he he said to me he didn't come straight out and say it he just said oh one of my friends at school has used marijuana what do you think about that mom and that's a telltale sign like it was like I'm just going to test the waters and see what she's going to do with this information. you know he's a very smart kid Um, and, and then it was like two weeks later that, you know, Oh mom, this is what's been happening. I'm, I'm doing this. And it's like, okay. And for me that was like, that information was devastating because I'm 46 now. I've still never seen a drug other than ones in hospital. I, I would not have a clue what they look like. I've never been exposed to it. It's never been part of my life. I don't know why I've been at parties with other people where they've said they were offered drugs and I never got offered them. Like, I just it has not been part of my orbit and so thinking that it won't be part of my children's orbit you would think would be reasonable but that's just unrealistic they're they're everywhere and lots of things are everywhere (laughs) and just because you're not experiencing it and you don't know about it it doesn't mean that it's not okay for them to still be a loved member of your family if they're choosing a different path from you.
0: Yeah, I love that, Liz. And um, something that we say to our daughter as well is, you know, mum and dad are not always right. Your teachers are not always right. You need to question everything. You know, yeah. you need to form your own opinions, your own thoughts about things, you know, experience your own things, like figure out who you are and what makes sense to you. So um, I love that you brought that up, that, that's awesome. So what would you tell your younger self then? You know, um, knowing what you know now as a mum, uh, what would you tell your younger self as a first-time mum?
1: You're a really good mum Love that. I, I think that creates the the biggest amount of trauma for all mums is that they're worried that they're not doing it right There is no right The the beautiful soul that is your child was gifted to you To care for for a very very short time in the scheme of things You're doing it right Accept that and and love yourself, because without that, you can never truly love them. So a mother that's sitting listening to this, hating on themselves, worried about whether they're the right person, know that if you can't do it for yourself, love yourself for your children so that they learn to love themselves, because that's where the true power lies.
0: Yeah, that is, that's really, that's a really powerful statement. And I know there's a lot of mums out there that are they've got the guilt you know they've got the guilt they think they're screwing it up and and you're not you as i said you can't screw up your kids no you know it's it's all just a just a learning curve we're all doing the best we can with the resources we've got but that yeah. self love is so important we spoke about it on the last podcast as well you know you've got to fill your cup first like you know if you keep giving it to everybody else then of course you're going to give yourself the shit bits at the end of the day so really work on that self-love ladies. It's so important. I know you hear it a lot these days, but it really does make a difference. You know, when you can love all of yourself, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the not just loving all the good traits about yourself, but you got to love the unloved parts as well. You know, the, the traits that you don't love, like when you, when you can be a bitch, when you can be hot tempered and just fly off, you know, like love those bits as well, you know, because yeah. Someone said to me the other day, um, oh, I've been diagnosed with bipolar. And I'm like, oh, my God, like we're all bipolar. We all have <laughs> all these different personalities that come out, you know. And to be honest, like we've got the, the, um, the public one where we show everyone, you know, how, how amazing we are. You know, we act a certain way out in public. And we've got the private, how we're, we're a little bit different behind the scenes in our own home. You know, we've got that personality, and then we've got the really private one where it's our own thoughts and our own feelings and what's going on in between our two ears. So, you know, like when people say bipolar, and I know that there is a condition, but I'm like, it's like man, we're all bipolar. We've all got different personalities. It's okay, but we need to be able to love them all because it's it's what makes us unique. And it's those, um, those traits that we've had to call on throughout these experiences in our life that shape us into the person um, that we are today. So I want to know what's one thing that Elizabeth Ann Walker has nailed as being a mum? What's one skill or strength that you've just gone, yeah, I've nailed that as a mum?
1: The family dinner. Definitely the family dinner.
0: Yeah, yeah, so powerful.
1: Whether I cook or I don't cook. Uh, is irrelevant. It's the communication that happens around that family dinner table, the openness, the expressiveness. Uh, We have conversations about everything at our table and sometimes I sit there going, I don't even know what you're talking about because I am a little bit innocent and I I don't know terms for things and sometimes they all sit there giggling at me. (laughs) But it's definitely that family dinner and the ability to have those open conversations.
0: Yeah, I love that. And there's all uh, research around it too these days yeah. that, you know, kids that are brought up in homes where they're having um, dinner around the, around the dinner table on a regular basis, um, it sets them up confidence and social skills and communication skills. So it has that flow on effect for when they grow up and they're becoming young adults. So it's, you know, you may not feel like it's that important when your kids are sitting in front of the TV having a, having a meal, but it really is. In the whole scheme of things, it makes a difference. And having that connection time where you're all present, you know, for each other. Um, you know, in our household, we always ask, you know, what was our favorite part of the day? What are we grateful for? And what did we get wrong today? Like we really celebrate yeah. what we got wrong, you know, yeah. and we let our kids know it's okay not to get things right because... We see it so often out there where it's frowned upon if you get things wrong, but we, we actually clap each other and celebrate, and the kids think it's hilarious bringing up the things that mum and dad got wrong throughout the day. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there's a few tips around the dinner table there. Actually, we, we should get our families together one day and have a big family-loving dinner. It's sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure um, my teenage boys would love your little children. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, awesome. Okay. Well, last question. What are three of your best mum hacks for you know tips for other mums out there? What are three things that you're just like yeah you know if you're a mum here's my top three.
1: So number one is fill your cup first, and the way that I want to describe that to you is imagine that you're in the middle of a lake, and there are or everyone you love is around the outside of the lake, and you can't talk and you can't move and you're actually shaped like a bucket. The only way that you can reach the people on the outside of the lake is to fill up so much that you're overflowing and that the ripple effect goes out to them. So that's hack number one. You have to love yourself. And I don't care whether it means investing the money you are saving for a home, investing the money that you are saving for your kids' school fees. The, those private school fees will be worth nothing if you don't love yourself and your children don't learn that from you. So invest that in yourself first to create whatever you need to create, get into a program, do whatever you need to do to love yourself first. That's hack number one. Hack number two, do not underestimate the love that your children will feel from home-baked treats in their lunchbox. Because if you ask my children what my greatest skill was, they never had a packet thing in their lunchbox ever. Uh, And they still love the fact that they could take little cakes and biscuits and things that are terribly bad for you now. Uh, to school and hand it out to their friends. So don't underestimate the love that's seen in your children by things that you make yourself. Uh, Number three is let your kids know who you are without the, I need to be a parent. Have fun with them. Uh, You know, let them know who you are. Like when your kids are teenagers, let them know you have sex. Let them know that, you know, your undies have got holes in them or whatever (laughs) you've, you know, like be open and raw and real because the more you share, the more they'll share, you know. And to give you an example of that, last night we were sitting at a Chinese meal with the boys and my youngest son hasn't bought any girls' home yet. And so they all joke that he's gay and I don't really care whether he is or he isn't. But those are the kind of conversations we have around the table, and it didn't just go there. It went into the whole, you know, the whole gamut of gay everything, and that you know we talk about that openly. Um, the same thing goes if when they're talking about going out and partying, they talk about the whole lot in front of us. And so by you sharing, they'll share, and that creates openness, and it allows you to know what you need to look out for.
0: Yeah totally. Oh Elizabeth like seriously that was awesome you are awesome. Um how can people find you like where can they find you if they want to get in contact with with you?
1: Yep so on Facebook I'm Elizabeth Ann Walker or our website is www.elizabethannwalker.com. So it's pretty simple it's just who I am.
0: Super simple. Um, go and check this lady out. Honestly, she is amazing. She does awesome videos as well. I love it when you do your Facebook lives where you're doing your makeup and stuff.
1: <laughs> so that's a, that's a mum hack in itself. I don't have time to do a live and my makeup. So just do my makeup while I'm going live.
0: No, I know. It's, it's multitasking, you know, and we're the best <laughs> at it. We really are. Um, thank you so much for your time, honey. I know this is going to be um, this is just gonna be a hit with so many women, and I love your rawness, your realness, and the energy that you bring to any situation. We have a lot of fun when we're together, and I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks., Yay. it's gonna be a lot of fun on the Gold Coast, and um, we're back in the jumpers today, actually. It's been a bit cold down here, so I can't wait to get up there into the sun. It's actually we've just arrived on the Gold Coast today and it's
1: actually freezing. Oh no. There's like a really cold wind. The sun's beautiful,
0: but the wind's freezing. All right. Well, it's got a week to um, get itself in order. So (laughs) I'm up there in a week. But thank you so much, beautiful. I really, really appreciate it. And if you're listening to this podcast, as I said, leave a review, send us a comment. And um, if you have any questions um, that you'd love me to ask our guest speakers, or if you've got someone that you think I should ask to be on the podcast, then don't be afraid to shoot them our way. So thanks, everybody. Thanks, Liz. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you.